الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين نحمده ونستعينه ونتوكل عليه ونتوب إليه وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله تفرد بالربوبية والألوهية فهو في الذي فهو الذي في السماء إله ورب يعبد ويطاع وفي الأرض رب وإله يعبد ويطاع وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا وهادينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبد الله ورسوله أرسل على فترة من الرسل وقلة من العلم وضلالة في الناس من يهده الله فهو المهتد ومن يضلل فلن تجد له وليا مرشدا من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يستغفر الله يجد الله غفورا رحيما أما بعد أيها المؤمنون Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and this, these are only a few ayat in the Qur'an about our relationship, our respect, our love, our affection and our attachment to Allah's Prophet. May Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his. In one of the ayat at the end of Surah At-Tawbah, لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِتُّمْ حَرِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَؤُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ فَإِنْ تَوَلَّوْا فَقُلْ حَسْبِيَ اللَّهِ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوْ عَلَيْهِ تَوَكَّلْ in another ayah in Surah Ali Imran قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ in another ayah 
لقد كان لكم في رسول الله أسوة حسنة لمن كان يرجو الله واليوم الآخر وذكر الله كثيرا In another ayah in Surah Al-Najm وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَى And the ayat go on and on. It, it's almost like endlessly Allah Jalla Sha'nuhu is concentrating our hearts and our attention on His Prophet. And without any doubt in any heart of any convict Muslim of Iman and commitment, Allah's Prophet comes before anyone else, period. After clearing this type of issue, we'd like to revisit the subject of Allah's Prophet's sayings. And this is an area that has to be from time to time reiterated and re-emphasized because much of the commotion and confusion comes from words and statements attributed to Allah's Prophet and still the Muslims after all of these years have not done their duty in sorting out the hadiths that agree with the Qur'an and agree with the consensual hadiths from those that disagree with the Qur'an and disagree with the hadiths that the majority of Muslims have agreed on among themselves. Let us take some examples here to show that all of this body of hadiths has to be sorted out by Muslims, scholars, ulama, those who have the qualifications and have the transparency to embark on this effort that is long overdue. There is a hadith, what is called a hadith, that was narrated by Abu Huraira in Al-Bukhari. Now, saying these words to some people almost automatically brings to their mind some type of preconceived notion or imagery that somehow whoever is speaking, saying what I am going to say, is trying to discredit the Prophet's companions or the Prophet's devotees. And this is not the case. What we are trying to say is what we have in these books of hadiths have to be looked, examined and whatever hadith stance 
in the climate of the Quran, which there is no doubt about, then that is by that type of hadith is binding on us. But whatever doesn't fit into this and is absolutely unreasonable, then we put it aside. So one of these hadiths in Al-Bukhari, narrated by Abi Hurairah, says, يَلْقَى إِبْرَاهِيمُ أَبَاهُ آزَرَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَعَلَى وَجْهِ آزَرَ قَتَرَةِ This hadith means that Ibrahim is going to encounter his father Azar on the day of resurrection and there's going to be a smoke of gloom on his face, meaning on the face of Ibrahim's father. Okay. Now, does this fit in the meanings of the Quran? In Surah Al-Shu'ara, there's an ayah in which Ibrahim says, and this is a dua of Ibrahim, وَلَا تُخْزِنِي يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَالٌ وَلَا بَنُونٌ إِلَّا مَنْ أَتَى اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٌ And do not disgrace Ibrahim. Is, this is dua that Ibrahim is saying, expressing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't disgrace me on the day of resurrection. لا وَلَا تُخْزِنِي يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ There is no response to this dua from Allah that says that Allah is going to disgrace or disappoint Ibrahim on the day of Al-Qiyamah. If Ibrahim was asking for something that is wrong, Allah would have corrected him. But he didn't. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not correct Ibrahim because Ibrahim is not going to be disgraced on the day of judgment. That was the case with Nuh. Nuh asked for mercy for his own son. And Allah corrected him. He was, when, he, when he's asking for something that is not right, he says, إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ مِنْ أَهْلِكِ إِنَّهُ عَمَلٌ غَيْرُ صَالِحِ He doesn't belong to your family or to your folks because he, your son, amounts to an effort of deviation, an unacceptable human labor, as it were. So here we are, we have something that is called a hadith and we have an ayah that we all know is an ayah. So what do we do? Try to bind what is not binding? And then there's a hadith that says that the Prophet came under the spell of magicians or magic. And then the ayah says, 
وقال الظالمون إن يتبعون إلا رجلا مسحورا and offender the offender said they meaning the followers of of the prophet are following a man who is under the spell of magic so the hadith that the prophet is under the spell of magic contradicts the meaning of this ayah Allah is exposing the mushriks and the kafirs for their accusation that the Prophet is a person who has been influenced by sorcery or witchcraft or black magic or whatever you want to call it. So what do you do here? You have an ayah that is saying something and you have the this type of hadith that is lodged in our books of hadith besides something like the sun is performing sajda under the throne of allah a hadith like that there's some hadiths that are corrupted just by the changing one letter in a word. I'll give an example of this. They say, إِنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ اِحْتَجَمَ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ That the the messenger of Allah had al-hijama, that is to have blood, there's a cut that is done or a few cuts that are done on the body and then the blood flows out of these cuts so that there is a type of hemo purification in the blood purification in the body the word is supposed to be not ihtajama with the meme at the end of the word rather ihtajara with a ra at the end of the word the changing of one letter which has occurred in this vast body of hadith changes the meaning ihtajara means that he has taken for himself a hujra a chamber in the masjid a place for himself there's a difference between this and that so these people who find the type of wording of this hadith to be ihtajama, then they think they have to do this bloodletting, so to speak, inside the masjid. And that is these types of incor- inaccuracies in the words is called it's referred to in the fiqhi language as hadith musahhaf. When a letter is displaced with another letter, therefore changing the whole meaning of the hadith. Then there is al-hadith al-muharraf. A hadith that has, has been made deviated. It says, إِنَّ النَّبِيَّ إِذَا صَلَّى 
نصب بين يديه عنزه which means if the prophet was to pray he would put in front of him and the word is عنزه عنزه means a stick or it could even be a spear just put something in front of you and you pray those who are not familiar with the language and this has occurred in Islamic history they misread the word عنزتن and made it عنزتن without the tashdeed on the noon and so the meaning changes from a rod or a stick to become a goat so if you pray you put a goat in front of you we're looking at our history we're looking at our mistakes and we're looking at our misreading and mis and therefore misunderstanding of what is supposed to be hadith hadiths that are in the company of other hadiths that are sahih then there is what is called al-hadith al-maqloob which means a topsy-turvy hadith there is a long hadith in which the Prophet of Allah is reported to have said that there are seven types of individuals who will be under Allah's shadow on the day of judgment under rather under Allah's shade on the day of judgment سَبْعَةٌ يُظِلُّهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي ظِلِّهِ يَوْمَ لَا ظِلَّ إِلَّا ظِلُّهُ There are seven who will be shaded by Allah's shade on a day when there is no other shade. One of them is, and here, here's where, listen to where a mix-up occurs. رَجُلٌ تَصَدَّقَ بِصَدَقَةٍ أخفاها حتى لا تعلم يمينه ما تنفق شماله. A person who gave a sadaqa discreetly to the extent that his right hand did not know what his left hand did. The other quote of the same hadith says. It begins the same way, but then it says, in a way that his left hand did not know what his right hand did. So in one version, his right hand gave the sadaqah and his left hand did not know it. In the other one, the left hand gave the sadaqah and his right hand did not know it. And then you have something called Al-Hadith Al-Mu'allal or Al-Hadith Al-Ma'lul which means something like the justifiable, justifiable or warranted Hadith. Now, now, if you followed along, there's only one Hadith, the one that I just mentioned about the shade of these seven individuals. The others, 
say that the Prophet used to do such things. It's not the Prophet who's saying it. Like praying in front of a stick. Now, give this example to these people who have a certain, men- let's call it a mentality. They have a certain mentality today that say, well, this is, you know, a form of shirk. Just like someone who puts a piece of clay, hardened clay, in front of him or her to pray on. Did anyone ask yourselves, did anyone object to when they learned or listened to this hadith that the Prophet was committing some type of shirk by putting something in front of him? We didn't hear that there was some type of objection to that. Whereby if you put some a piece of clay where your forehead touches the surface in your sajda, then all of a sudden this mentality expresses itself and says, this is a form of shirk. So the divisive issues that we have among us generate in this area where these hadiths are not brought into the light of Quranic culture and Quranic reasoning. So, in the other, another hadith, and these are only samples, remember, there's much of this in the body of hadiths. In another, another example, we are told, the generation of the Prophet, كَانُوا يَسْتَفْتِحُونَ الْقِرَاءَ بِالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ What this means is people when they wanted to begin their recitation they would say الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ The word istaftaha has two meanings. It has the meaning of you initiate your reading or your recitation by saying Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. That's one understanding. The other understanding is you begin to read the Fatiha. Istaftahu, meaning they, they began to read Surat Al-Fatiha. And they began it with according to this understanding by saying Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen this is in Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim so when someone and this is in our Muslim midst when someone is reading that they said oh so he didn't say Bismillahi Rahman Rahim he just said Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen without the Basmalah And here in this area, we have the troublemakers that move in and then they want to make divisive issues out of this. And then we have how many hadiths? And I'm asking this question so that you can, in your mind, think about it and take it a, a step forward. We have one 
publication of Sahih al-Bukhari in which there is 2,761 hadiths. In another publication, at another time, we have the number of hadiths in al-Bukhari to be 2,513. If this was a book that is what certain individuals say it is on par with the Qur'an in one way or the other or in one explanation or the other, then why do we have the absence of 2,761 minus 2,513? You come up with around 150 hadiths in one edition that don't exist in another edition. Which forces us to ask ourselves, has there ever been Muslims who have trailed the publication of Al-Bukhari from the first time it was written down, I don't know, over a thousand years ago, up until today. We have not, just like we haven't put together the effort to filter these hadiths, we haven't made the simple effort of tracing the additions of al-Bukhari and see whether they match or not. Another problem we have, it is narrated, and these all are in the Sahih books. We're not taking some hadith from some odd book somewhere. It is quoted in one of these Sahih hadith books that Someone came knocking, of course I'm using the English language to facilitate the meaning, came knocking on the door of the Prophet. The Prophet said, Bi'sa akhul ashiratihu. Which, with the, the translation, translator's license means, that's not a person you want to associate with. That's not a person you want to tra- uh, uh, to associate with. Okay. Aisha, Ummul Mu'mineen, radiyallahu anha, she was with the Prophet and she was observing what is going on. She heard the Prophet say what he just said. The man is permitted and he enters into the presence of Allah's Prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then the Prophet, the way he speaks to him, he speaks to him kindly. He interacts with him in a very courteous and civilized way. Okay? And Aisha is watching. And she says to him, I don't understand. I heard you say that this is not a type of person to associate with. And then when he came to you and you and him began to exchange words, you were in a very courteous and a very kind manner interacting with him. He said to her, Ya Aisha, 
متى عاهدتني فاحشا او عائشه have you ever noticed from me a behavior that is offensive or flagrant ان من شر الناس منزله يوم القيامه من تركه الناس اتقاء فحشه said one of the worst people on the day of resurrection is that person who people avoid because of his offensive and flagrant behavior and attitude so a person who is maybe very unversed very shallow would think that the prophet had a conflicting attitude or he had walayadu billah he had a hypocritical behavior he said one thing that seemed to have been against the person and then when he encountered the person he dealt with them contrary to what he just said but that's not the case and this type of understanding of the hadith has invited divisiveness among the muslims now i will end with this example the adhan and the iqama we know that the adhan and the iqama have been in progress since the salah was made mandatory on the muslims around the 12th year of the ba'tha the year before the hijrah we know that okay now how is this adhan there's one islamic school of thought called al-hadawiyah this is a zaidi school of thought it says that the adhan and the iqama both of them each sentence is said twice meaning the adhan and the iqama are duplicates you say in the adhan allahu akbar allahu akbar you say in the iqama allahu akbar allahu akbar you say in the adhan ashhadu an la ilaha illallah twice you say in the iqama ashhadu an la ilaha illallah twice all the way to the end all of them are said twice and then we come to the school of thought of al imam malik he says the sentences of the adhan are said twice tathniyat alfaz al adhan but the iqama when you're saying the same sentence in the iqama you only say it once except for 
No, there's no exception. Even قَدْ قَامَتِ الصَّلَاةِ is said once. مَذْهَبْ الْإِمَامْ مَالِكِ And it's been in vogue among the Malikis for over a thousand years. And other schools of thought are like most of the Muslims today say the Adhan. Allahu Akbar has said four times. The other sentences of the Adhan are said twice. And then at the end, La ilaha illallah said once or twice. When you come to the iqama, they, all of them are said once except قَدْ قَامَتِ الصَّلَاةِ It is said twice. This is, brothers and sisters, listen closely. This is the adhan that all the Muslims have been listening to. And the adhan and iqama are not said silently. These are said with the strongest voices when there were no amplifiers. And now with amplifiers, you hear it and you can't miss it. Five times a day. And look what we have. This is what we have. It's not, uh, the Adhan is not a long surah like Surah Al-Baqarah. It's those limited sentences that we have. And then the Prophet of Allah ordered the Muslims to repeat what the Mu'addin is saying. And the initial Muslims in those first generations, they wanted to be as precise, as accurate as they could in trying to repeat what they heard the Prophet or Bilal, the Mu'addin of the Prophet say during the Adhan. With all of that that we know, what we have today is what I just told you. There are three or four ways of saying the Adhan. So what do we do? We make a divisive issue out of this. We begin to accuse each other. All of this, during, mind you, during the first generations, the first centuries of Islam, there was no dispute, there was no difference, there was no arguments there was no divisions about all of this issue when they were saying the adhan in these different ways no one was claiming oh i'm i'm right and the other is wrong no one was saying that in today's world this is what we have someone says the adhan in a particular way that disagrees with the other muslim and then the other muslim says oh this person doesn't say the adhan right and they make an issue that I'm not going to go to that masjid. I'm not going to be with those Muslims. I think they are, their Islam is incomplete, to put it mildly. Some of them go way beyond that. And they say they are dhalin, or they are mubtadi'een, or they are munharifin. And they use all of this vocabulary 
to break up, break down, break off, break into the solidarity that we are supposed to exemplify in our lives. And then, then what is there? What happens in the Muslim mind and in the Muslim psychology? What happens if someone says to them, "Well, all of them are equally correct." Why are we living in a phobia that makes us not believe that the other Muslim is correct when he is saying things that we are saying, but he's just adding another, let's say, Someone said it once, the others say it twice. So what's, what's your problem? What's your problem? And this has become an issue that is that has divided us and continues to divide us and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and this is an ayah wa'tasimu bihablillahi jami'an wala tafarraqu all of you hold on to the means of allah and don't be divided if your understanding of your hadith that you accept and no one's arguing you can accept it or not. You have all the liberty and all the will in the world to do so. But after you accept it, you begin to think that you are not part of the rest of the Muslims. Something is wrong with your understanding. Something is wrong. If we can build our reasoning to this level we are going to continue to be divided and the results are what you see aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfiru allaha li wa lakum ud'uhu subhanahu wa antum ala yaqin bil ijabah wa tubu ila allah inna allaha tawwabun rahim الحمد لله الذي هدى وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا المصطفى وعلى آله وصحبه أولي النهى وأولي التقى Dear committed brothers and dear committed sisters أيها المؤمنون I want to I know I've said this before. فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّ ذِكْرَ تَنْفَعُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Bring it to the consciousness of people because that consciousness is of benefits to committed Muslims. In the first 12 years of the Prophet's responsibilities in Mecca, all of these issues, most, the overwhelming majority of these issues that divide the Muslims today were not present. They didn't exist. As salah did not exist. As siyam did not exist. As zakah did not exist. Al hajj, the way we perform the hajj, did not exist. None of those existed. 
So what was the prophet doing in all of these years? And why don't we know what the prophet was doing throughout all of these years? There's a very huge gap in our historical body of information. What was the prophet doing? Ask yourself, if there was no salah and no zakah and no sawm and no hajj, then what was there? This is the issue that has taken, has been taken out of the Muslim mind and out of Islamic history and out of Islamic programs. It's been taken out because the concentration of it was on the unity of the Muslims who were committed to Allah and His Prophet in seeking justice, equality, and social justice. That's what it was all about. And as we said in a previous khutbah just a few weeks ago, As-Salah was born out of the trials and tribulations of those demanding years. Unlike today, As-Salah is a cosmetic. It's not born out of reality. Just a cosmetic. People just perform it to satisfy their conscience that we are praying, we are fasting, we are doing this. And then those 12 years that the Prophet and those were, who were with him sacrificed to the extent of being tortured, of being excommunicated, of being exiled. When all of these issues of, of what, what is called Sha'a'ir and Ibadat did not exist. So now we come to the real world. Today, our world. What do we have? What do we see? We see, if you didn't know, I'm, I, hopefully I'm not breaking the news to you. I hope you, you've heard this before. Last week, or I don't know, 10 days ago or so, I, I can't remember the exact timing of it. What happened was, a lady in Saudi Arabia, a young lady, who was attending, this has not occurred before in that decrepit kingdom, where you have singers in an auditorium or in some hall singing to an audience in a crowd of people that are, who are listening to him. In this case, after the singer ended his song, a young lady wearing an Islamic dress meaning covering her head and her body, ran up to him and gave him a hug. And then all of a sudden, as if the, as if all hell broke loose in the psychology of that kingdom. And the division was so obvious and stark between those who applauded what she did and those who assailed what she did, which tells you and me 
that the contradictions and the dichotomies of that deviant kingdom are beginning to surface. We're beginning to see them with our own eyes. There's a Saudi journalist, writer, he wrote, commenting on this issue. Now, every Saudi who saw that event, and that event went viral, it's all over the place. Every This person who wrote this article in one of the major newspapers in that kingdom said, every Saudi who saw that event, that young lady who hugged that singer on stage in an area in Uqav, every Saudi can now say, can gladly say, now we have exited the society of angels and the society that claims that it is the group the only group of redeemed Muslims now we have proven our humanness our human nature our human inclinations those who have made a big fuss about this issue should prepare themselves for much more of the same to come and much more of the fuss to be presented and then one of the preachers for that kingdom his name is Al-Kalbani, Adil Al-Kalbani. He moves in, in the social media there. These people have millions of followers on social media. He moves into all of this and he begins to try to find a middle ground between those who want Saudi society to develop into singers and hugs and maybe kisses and maybe drinks after that, and maybe seclusions, and whatever comes with it and after it. And those who see that this is the beginning of the end of that traditional society. And he says he began this preacher who defends the regime there, he says now he has been exposed to shouting, words, cursing words, and even racism. Because this person, Adil Kalbani, if he were to be put here in the American society, he'd say that that guy's an African-American, for those of you who don't know him. But now he gets a whim of racism, and he says he's beginning to feel that in that kingdom. And what do they do in the past week or two? They put another of their foremost da'is in prison. That scholar's name is Safar al-Hawali. They threw him into prison. He's sick. He's a person who's, who, who's suffering from some ailments. They have no compunctions about that. 
Remember, they are the protectors of the two harams where they are selling to the Israelis anyways. And then in this past week or so, news breaks out that they arrested one of the high-ranking people in their government because he stole a million riyals. That amounts to about 270 or 80 thousand dollars, along with some other officials in that particular department of government. This is what happens, brothers and sisters. The Saudi government is killing or responsible for the killing along with its Arabian culprits in the past 20-30 years has been responsible for the killing and the financing of the killing of millions of Muslims. No one, no one of stature and reputation in that decrepit kingdom, no one had the nerve and the willpower to stand in front of Sultan Taghin, Afdalu Jihad, Kalimatu Haq, Fi Wajhi Sultan Jair. None of them could exemplify that hadith and point to the deviations and the diabolic policies of that decrepit kingdom. No one. And look what happens to them now. You were silent because you were accessories to these crimes. Now the time has come for you to bear the consequences of your own decisions and your own deeds. A lady goes and hugs a singer and it becomes the major issue in that kingdom. But when that kingdom's armed forces are killing people, starving people, maiming innocent people all over the place, from Yemen to Iraq to Syria to Libya to Somalia to Afghanistan to the Indian Pakistani subcontinent, all over the place, no one says anything. They are, why? Because the first 12 years of the Prophet's mission are absent from their minds and from their hearts. This is how they behave. It's not a munkar to kill populations. It's a munkar for a lady to go and hug a singer. That's where we are. This is what becomes of us when we don't clean up our act and clean up our history and then there this is a, this is a type of some person I, I'm sure everyone knows who it was said that religion is the opium of the masses it's not far-fetched to paraphrase that person says to say al-wahhabiyya and as Salafiya are the opium of Islam. What is this? Everyone goes into a state of hysteria that has not been settled yet because of this one event. No one was killed. No one was harmed. 
it's not Islamic behavior to do that. We're not giving any credibility to such an act. But what type of Islamic behavior is it? To drain the Muslim resources. Muslims want to go to Hajj, and now they have to pay exuberant amounts to go to Hajj, to the extent that the ulama in Tunisia are telling the Muslims of Tunisia, don't go to Hajj, because the money you pay to go to Hajj is financing these wars against Muslim, innocent Muslim populations. In this climate, you have a Syrian opposition figure in Israel who is inviting Muhammad bin Salman, MBS, to come to Tel Aviv. Do it! You've come some way. Take the final steps and address the Israeli Knesset just like Sadat did. And we wonder, even if that happens, will the Muslims have enough commitment in them to see reality as it is? We are truly in, in times that are testing who we are. Another thing that happened, we have one of the mashayikh, a sheikh in Egypt, this is also video, it's on the internet, you can see it. A sheikh in Egypt with, he's wearing just like a alim and a scholar. He's singing Surat Al-Fatiha with the music that goes with it. And others around him are dancing to it. Hey, this is what happens. You want to dumb yourself down? Where's the pit? Where's the bottom of all of this, we ask? Another phenomenon that happened in Egypt recently, a group of Muslims began praying to Allah, but not in the direction of the Qibla, in another, any direction except the Qibla. There you have it. We begin to see the breakout of these types of behaviors and acts. There are 200 Moroccan women who went to Syria. Remember? Five, six, seven years ago when there was this movement of women and they called the coupling of these women with uh, quote-unquote mujahideen in Syria as performing what is called jihad and nikah. Remember that? Well, now there's, there's 200. This is in the news. We don't know how, how deep and how expansive this misery is. They want to return to Morocco. Morocco says, we don't want them. The, officially, we're not talking about Moroccan people. Officially, the government says, we don't want them. These are women. Most of them are widows, if not all of them. And some of them have babies and small children with them. This is what happens when you have this type of mediocre, status quo, compliant, and supine Islam. This is what you get. 
And then you have this person in Turkey. His name is Adnan Oktar, better known by the name of Harun Yahya, who has been arrested because he's running a team of people who are accused of pedophile and of some acts that have to do with violating state security and probably having contacts with those who are enemies of the Muslims. All of this has to be investigated and all of this has to be subject to the legal procedures over there. They were spying for military and for political purposes. And then we have the Knesset. Just yesterday or the day before the Knesset made it official. Israel is an apartheid state. It's official now. They used to say, oh no, Israel is a democracy and Israel is a... It's not. Now anyone who can read and write what they passed in their Knesset, I think it was 62 against 55, but it passed. The nationality law that makes a Jew a citizen of Israel and the 20% of the population that lives there, the Palestinians, don't belong to that state. They are now second, third, and umpteenth class citizens. And they can do with them whatever they want to do. And they've been doing a lot. There used to be traitors, Khawana, in South Lebanon, who were working with the Israelis during the 1980s. If you can go back, it's not history, it's in our lives. They were working with the Israelis and they got booted out of Lebanon. The Israelis took them in. They gave them an apartment, they gave them a car, and they gave them a monthly stipend or salary, call it whatever you want. Now the Israeli government is saying it doesn't want to pay them anymore. These are the ones who fought. And some of them, some of their family members were killed for the Israelis. And now the Israelis don't even want to honor their words with them. And it's becoming an internal hot potato among the different departments of their intelligence and military and official members of that government. What are we going to do with these people? 3,000 or so of them. What are we going to do with them? Their leader, his name was Antoine Lahad, he died 2015 in Paris. But these people, this is what happens when traitors, they sell out themselves. Some of them, I don't think these are Christians. They, there, is Muslim, there are Muslims among them. But the type of Islam that they have, anything goes. If they perform their salah and their zakah and their siyam, they can stab us in the back. They can give enemy sensitive information. They can fight with the enemy and do whatever they want to do. And then the latest 
Israel has entered into a working, an advanced working relationship with Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. To the extent that they're beginning to say in their press, in the Hebrew press, they're beginning to say that Israel is, can use our military bases if it wants to attack Iran. It's open. You want to use them? Come on in. They have their military bases in the Arabian Peninsula because between Israel and Iran, there's about a thousand kilometers. It doesn't make for a comfortable military campaign. But if they're just across the Gulf in the Arabian Peninsula and with them teaming up together, the Saudis, the Israelis, the Emiratis, the Bahrainis, the etc. Of course, with supervision from the politicians here in Washington, D.C., who take orders from Tel Aviv. And this, oh, oh no, if a war breaks out, we're not even supposed to think about that. When millions of people can be killed and their whole life is, is damaged forever, that's not a moral issue. They tell you, oh, why are you speaking about these issues? That's Islam should be about morality. Well, that's what we're saying. It is about morality. If we try to preempt a war with our knowledge and with spreading the word to avoid millions of people, children, widows, the elderly, the civilians. What are we doing? We're saying something wrong? Tell us. If we're saying something wrong, if we're misspeaking or misbehaving, please come to us and tell us. They're silent. And the word of truth shall liberate us from their conspiracies and from their plots. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah. وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا واجعلنا للمتقين إماما اللهم اهدنا فيمن هديت وعافنا فيمن عافيت وتولنا فيمن توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا شر ما قضيت فإنك تقضي ولا يقضى عليك وإنه لا يذل من واليت ولا يعز من عاديت تباركت ربنا وتعاليت فلك الحمد على ما قضيت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك وصلى الله على محمد وآل محمد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم 
إن الله يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل إن الله نعم يعظكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قام 